HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren, and on today's show, we have Amy Galesian. She is a specialty foods operations manager at High Lawn Farm, uh, based in Lee, Massachusetts. She's been both a cheesemaker and a cheesemonger since 2018 and has a degree in agriculture and heritage dairy production. I'm super excited to catch up with her. They just had the Massachusetts Cheese Fest, and um, I really want to learn more about High Lawn Farm. So, Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, Gareth. Thank you for having me. Excited to to chat about Hylon and Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us, I mean, the pictures online looked amazing for the Cheese Festival. How does that come together? Is that a lot of work on your side with Hylon or is that like a group project with all the cheesemakers in uh, Massachusetts? Yeah. So when I started working at High Lawn Farm, the Massachusetts Cheese Guild approached me and said that they had been discussing the festival there for 2020. And that never happened. And if we were interested in doing it this year. Um, and we sort of discussed with High Lawn celebrating 100 years, we had a whole summer of events and fun things going on. And we thought doing the Cheese Festival would be a really great way to sort of close off the summer and also get people excited about cheese out in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts. Um, so it was actually the first time we've ever hosted it at High Lawn Farm, um, a whole new committee putting it together. And it was a lot of work, but it ended up being absolutely incredible. Great turnout, awesome producers, so much fun. Um, and really a, a wonderful experience for me and I think for all of our producers. We were all all walked away really, really happy with it. Um, but the Guild put a lot of work into it. We started planning and, yeah. So I saw there were like 13 uh, cheesemakers that were in on this. They all were like very impressive to me. Um, if you're like a new cheesemaker, how do you sort of break into a Guild like this? Is it, um, is it a hard process or easy? What happened? It's it's pretty easy for cheesemakers to join the Cheese Guild. Uh, and actually, for the Massachusetts Cheese Guild, we have 
multiple membership levels. So there's a cheese lovers membership level, which anybody from the public can join. And that gets you some, you know, little perks here and there, as well as free attendance of the festival. Um, and then if you're a producer, that's sort of a different level. And then there's also businesses. We were, had a lot of support from local shops, um, cheese shops and wine and beer shops to help put this together, uh, who are also on the guild. So that was, it's a cool collaboration. There's not a ton of Massachusetts cheese producers. Uh, we also invited a couple from Connecticut and New York to sort of add a few more variation. And it, I was really happy to have them there. Um, the Massachusetts Guild is very welcoming to all and any. So it's pretty easy to join. You just hop on the website and uh, say that you're interested. And I'm sure I'm sure there's a little bit of a vetting process, like you do have to make cheese. But overall, <laughs> I'm stoked to see that um, <laughs> that like you had like a lot of different cool people. Yeah, the, there is a little bit of a vetting process uh, for makers in the festival. So to, to be in the festival, you do have to have specific permits, uh, registrations, licenses, inspections, um, and be in compliance with uh, laws to be able to sell your, your products. Um, so not anybody can have a table there. But for the guild, just about anybody can join, depending how active they are. People don't always continue. Um, and not everybody in the guild has to come to every single meeting. Very cool. Well, that's a, that's a good thing to know because first, yeah, absolutely. Because I understand, um, sometimes taking on this sort of, um, I don't know if it's work, but you know, another thing like this can be overwhelming to some types of people. And it's, I'm glad to hear that it's open. It's a very open process and and people, uh, you guys are looking for more people to be in this guild. I, I think cheese guilds are really wonderful. They help, uh, you know, bring more advantages when people work in groups to further cheese and creamery development in the state. So that's, that's really, really cool. Um, well, now I kind of want to bring it about to, yeah. to you and Hylon and um, because I didn't realize, you know, I always kind of look at the LinkedIn background, so you'll have to excuse my little detective work here, but I saw that you went to Hampshire college and got a heritage dairy production degree. What is that like? Like, what is that? Like, I, I'm curious. Yeah. And then like, how does it feel to then be at Hylon because they have such a big history with that? Um, yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Um, it's really cool to work with jerseys. Um, when I was at Hampshire college, I worked with the Dutch belted there and um they are a critically endangered species of dairy cow they're actually a tri-purpose dairy cow and i studied them and i found them to be really fascinating and have a lot of history um and a lot of important traits that you don't find in holsteins these days that have sort of been bred out of your typical dairy cow um and that was sort of one of the things when i started studying dairy management i wanted to go into agriculture and dairy farming. When I started studying heritage breeds, they don't produce quite as much milk, but it's of a different and typically higher quality. Um, and that's sort of when I transitioned into the value added products and specifically cheese. Um, so a lot of uh, towns and villages in France have a lot of uh, regionality with their cow breeds to the cheese that they make to being very specific to that town. And I found that very interesting. I did some studying there and learned uh, with different farmers who milk different breeds of cows and how 
important that was and the, the land and the agriculture was to the cheese. And to be able to work with Jersey's now, who are also, uh, they're still one of the big main five dairy breeds, but their milk quality is very, very different than your typical Holstein dairy cow. Right. And so when I was looking at the website for Hylon, it's um, very clear um, in the storyline that there's a woman by the name of Marjorie Field, who is, I guess, an ancestral family member who may have owned yes. the farm at one point. You can you can clarify this. Yeah. And just like her way of studying the Jersey cow, how it furthered science for the breed. I mean, you, if you would like to elaborate more on this, I, my mind was blown because I was like, wow, this is like a true scientist before it was allowed. <laughs> and I think it's very cool to talk about. So if, if you don't mind just like explaining it to the listeners, I, I, I was just really moved by it. Yeah. So Marjorie Wild uh, started breeding the jerseys at High Lawn in 1934. Um, and one of her things was milk quality. And so she was breeding for very specific traits, uh, which is something that a lot of dairy farmers do and, and has become basically the norm today. Um, but back in the day when she was doing it, she was sort of almost revolutionizing the breed and turning the breed into what it is now and uh, became... I mean, very, very well recognized throughout the Jersey Association, producing some of the best quality cows out there, uh, shipping them to farms all over the country and the world um, and and growing the Jersey breed. She had such a huge part in that. And not only that, but to know that that was a woman, uh, a woman and to know that she sort of laid the footwork or, or, or sort of built the path to, to now be we're still woman owned and um, most of our management is also women and and it's really cool to sort of follow in her footsteps and recognize that legacy that we're trying to carry on um, at Hylon and and we think about that every single day and all of the, the products we produce um, and sort of how that's been expanding as the market has changed um, and we we still have a lot all of her records um, and they, we can trace our cows, our herd back almost 17 generations, um, basically to her work in 1934. And that's incredible to have all of that available to us. And we're still trying to breed very consciously for very specific, very high quality milk traits. Wow. I, I can't, that's a lot of history to have. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> 17, that's not a number you often hear for generations. That's um, really, really cool. No, it's, it's incredible. And, and to work, to follow that legacy sort of, it, it really gives everything that we do. It puts a lot of things in perspective um, to have that history and, and that aim for quality. So um, in your day-to-day job, because I actually don't think I've met anyone by the name, by your job, specialty operations manager, or wait, am I saying that right? I just, I don't know what that title means. And I'm curious if you can explain to me what it encompasses and what your day-to-day is like. Yeah. So we only started making cheese at Hylon in like 2019, 2020. So cheese is relatively new. Uh, we have been doing fluid milk since 1923 for 100 years. We've been delivering fluid milk across Boston, the Berkshires, uh, and we're just starting to expand that. But we got into cheese in that time. I came on board here in 2022 
beginning of the year. Um, and so my role, I studied um, cheese making with Matthew Bridgeford at Jacobs and Bridgeford in Indiana for a little bit after being a cheesemonger um, after graduating. And so my role sort of encompasses all of those roles into one, which is incredible to have found a position where I can do a little bit of everything, everything that I studied, everything that I've worked in past jobs and taken skills from each part of that. So everything from animal management, the way that we're breeding, the way that we're feeding, I talk to our farmers every single day. And part of what I do is I sort of translate what they tell me to our cheesemaker um, to make it so that we all are working well unitedly. Um, because so much of what we do relies on the farm and the animals and how they're being cared for um, and and everything that they produce. I feel lucky because I, I get to sort of combine all of the roles, past ex- job experiences and things that I've studied into this one position. So I work with our farmers. I work with our head cheese maker. I work with our dairy plant manager. I work with our head ice cream maker. Um, I do a lot of our sort of sales and work really closely with cheesemongers who sell our cheese and smaller cheese shops, chefs, um, people who are looking for something a little bit more specific in in their for for their customers. And I can help them build that. And I can help decide, you know, I think this would be really great on your menu and this would be a really good pairing. And I help with doing our classes. And we have a little retail shop uh, on site where we scoop ice cream and we sell our cheeses. And so I also do trainings with that staff to tell them about cheese tasting and what it should taste like and how do you find certain notes, um, how we should wrap cheese, the best way to care for it, facing it, um, and making it presentable and even label placement, stuff like that, that as a cheesemonger, I use those skills every day. Um, And then I also help a lot with our food safety and those programs as well. Um, so lots going on every day, all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm taking in a lot of what you <laughs> said and you are a Renaissance woman. Uh, you are like many great creamery people that I know doing everything from sales marketing to production stuff to really uh, translator for many, many pathways. Uh, it's very impressive. I'm glad you're organized and I hope to God you're organized at least uh, to do that kind of job because it sounds like a lot of cool stuff you're doing. Um, I guess that now in relation to that, I just want to make it a little more clear for the listeners um, because I, when I was looking at everything and I've seen your products in stores, you guys do fluid milk, you do butter, uh, which I'm Mm -hmm. curious if it's cultured or not. There's ice cream and then there's like eight different types of cheeses. Is that, is that correct? That's about right. So we do fluid milk, heavy cream, half and half, a chocolate milk and eggnog seasonally. And then we make our own ice cream base. Um, and we make 18 flavors of ice cream that we sell locally from our shop. And then we do wholesale that as well to other local local shops. Um, and then we do, yes, butter. So we have a cultured butter and uncultured butter. And then we also do a ghee. And we have about right. eight or nine cheeses sort of flowing through. And and what I like about our selection, what also makes our selection really challenging is that we have one from each sort of family of cheese. So we have a bloomy rind, a washed rind, a couple hard pressed, 
Um, we have a cheddar, we have a blue and it keeps things really exciting because it's, uh, not what I would recommend to somebody just starting to make cheese, trying to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we have fun with it. So my follow-up question to you is because there is so much going on, uh, is, what is the space like? Is there a lot of space at Highlawn? Like, what are the grounds like? How many cows do you guys have? I'm sorry, that's a two-parter, but uh, like, it just, I would, it would, I would imagine you need space to make all of these products. Yes. So first of all, the space is absolutely beautiful. So it almost looks like an old castle sort of village. And that was very intentional with the architecture. And it looks exactly the way, all of the buildings look exactly the way they did a hundred years ago. So walking to work, every day is just a beautiful sight. Um, our dairy plant where we process and bottle and pasteurize our milk, it was built in 2016. And that's a good space. But actually, one of the other things I'm working on right now is designing to build a new production space for our cheese facility. Um, so that would be on farm. And that would be something where we can invite our uh, shop visitors to walk through and sort of see the cheese making process. Our current space is sort of a retrofit, trying to see, make it work. Uh, sort of as we were starting to make cheese, we, we figured let's start small. It's been a big hit. It's been doing really, really well. And we're looking into expanding that. Um, we're milking 120 cows right now. And we have actually the Laley A4 robots. Um, and those help to save a lot on labor for our farm staff, um, allowing them to sort of focus on animal welfare, animal quality, um, the health and individual needs of each animal instead of spending so much time in the milking parlor. Um, and I also feel really lucky that I used to work with robots on a different farm. So I have a good understanding of that as well um, and can sort of talk and troubleshoot with them as well or sort of how that impacts our, our milk. Um, so lots, lots going on. It's a quite a big farm. We're about 1600 acre farm. We only actually farm about 700 acres and the rest is preserved woodland. So it's, uh, mountains, hills and, and forest lands that are basically untouched. Uh, we do a little bit of land management in there to, to keep them in control, but we don't have, you know, we're not, not plowing, not, not planting or growing anything in that space. And, and that, that's a huge part for the family, for the farm, is we want to preserve and keep the Berkshires green. Yeah, man, that's... Whew. Okay, so um, I just want to leave this out here for the listeners to, to digest and enjoy because, again, another bucolic, awesome cheese space. Um, I want to just let the listeners know we're going to just take a quick break right now. Uh, I'm Kara Warren. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. 
Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Cutting the Curd. I'm here, your host, Kara Warren. I'm here with Amy of Highlon Farm, and we're talking about all the cool things about Highlon, about how Amy can do everything at a cheesemaking facility and be a cheesemonger and run all these paths <laughs> and in between. Uh, I'm trying to keep up with her. I am very impressed by what she's doing. Um, I guess my next thing to, is a little bit of a softball, but I'm curious now. What is your go-to Hylon product? Like, what is it a cheese? Is it ice cream? What is what is your de- most delicious thing to you right now? Um, it would be between our cheese and our butter. And honestly, every time I go out of town, I miss our milk. I miss going to my local coffee shop and getting the best cappuccino because they use Hylon milk and it makes all of the difference. Um, our butter has this golden hue and I love cooking with that and using that, spreading it on my bread. Um, and I feel like it, it just tastes extra good. Um, once you have that, you kind of can't go back to regular butter and that's a challenge. Um, but then cheese wise, (laughs) I think the cheese that I am loving the most right now is the Siegfried's pride, which is our sort of more Alpine style, um, brandy smear ripened, uh, wash, I guess, wash drying sort of thing aged for a year. Um, and I think that cheese is gonna, it's gonna take off and it's really gonna go places. I'm really loving that profile right now. Is it, um, is it available in retail stores yet or is it just aging out? Yes, it is available in retail stores. So we've got it in a couple retail stores around, uh, mostly locally. I think there's one shop in Rhode Island that I've sent a couple wheels to. Um, and there's a couple other smaller shops that I, I work directly with those cheesemongers. And when they have space in their case, they'll get bring a wheel in. Um, and, and that always makes me happy because I, as a former cheesemonger, I really loved working with those producers who are sort of just getting out there with cheeses. Um, and it is also available at our shop. The other cheese sorry, there's one other cheese I want to talk about is the Smorbier, which is our newest cheese. And that's one that our head cheesemaker, Matt, and myself sort of dreamt up this idea. And it's just been released this year, kind of in the last six months or so. And we're both super, super excited about it. So it's a Morbier style. It's a washed curd um, and a smear ripened rind with the uh, bee linens, kind of very red pink rind. And it has, instead of using ash through the center, we use a hot pepper blend from a local pepper farm. Um, And working with, one, the pepper farm and how the peppers change kind of seasonally, what we can get is going to change the spice level in the cheese. And working with Matt to sort of figure out how we're going to do a Morbier-style cheese has been the most fun and also the most rewarding to have this delicious cheese actually be a reality now. 
That's very cool. So is the cheese, um, is it like a, an evening and, um, sorry, like a morning milk and an evening milk separated by the, by the spice in between, or is it, uh, is it just purely like an aesthetic cool thing? Yeah, it's mostly aesthetic. Um, so we, we sort of had experimented with a pepper jack. We had experimented with a pepper cheddar and we also wanted to do a washed curd. And so combining, we, we really wanted to use these peppers from Kitchen Garden Farm. That was sort of the, the inspiration to it. So combining all of those ideas and deciding, let's go for uh, a Morbius style. We don't do the morning milk and the evening milk. It's m- mostly for aesthetics, but it is very aesthetically pleasing to have this kind of rich, buttery paste cut by a bright red line through the center. Um, and it's also delicious. <laughs> And it, it sort of balances yeah. too with the sweetness of the washed curd with the a little like spicy heat from the peppers. Yeah, I'm really into that idea. I think I have to find that somewhere in the uh, New York, Massachusetts um, area. I mean, this this all sounds really good. And I, I, it's just it's funny because like I've seen even I've seen the milk around. I've seen the ice cream around. So I'm glad to see you guys are doing the cheese thing. Um, I had a follow up question on the milk. Um, is it? uh non-homogenized or lightly pasteurized because i feel like i've been drinking i've been trying to find milk that's not too pasteurized you know what i'm saying like um yeah you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah yeah so we we do use an htst and our milk is homogenized it's not ultra pasteurized um and it's not sent through the homogenizer at as high of a pressure as some commercial uh, processors do so that does occasionally, and it, it does have an impact on the shelf life. So a lot of ultra pasteurized milk, and I've seen it in the grocery store myself, will have a shelf life of 30 to 40 to sometimes longer days. Our milk only has an 18-day shelf life. And that's something that kind of comes with working with a more fragile, special product. Um, but it is super high in fat, protein, calcium, magnesium incredible minerals and vitamins that are naturally present in Jersey milk that because we don't ultra process it and ultra pasteurize it, they remain in the milk. Um, and, and the flavor of it is different. Um, it also froths incredibly well for baristas, which was something I didn't really realize that you could, um, I didn't realize it had that big of an impact until I started drinking cappuccinos that were made with Hylon <laughs> milk and realizing how different it is, how much better the froth is. And I talked to baristas and they go, yeah, once I start using that milk, it, it's just so different. Um, and, and that's really rewarding to hear because that goes all the way back to Marjorie Wild. Yeah, no, see, Amy, thank you. That was perfect. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Like, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you all day. This is a very, I can nerd out all day about the dairy stuff. So uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. There's, uh, I'm super, super excited about the, the future of Highline cheeses. Totally, totally. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna keep a lookout for them. But um, okay, cool. So I'm just going to give some information to our listeners right now. Uh, you can please follow Amy on Instagram at Amy E-G-U-L-Z. 
And High Lawn Farm, you can follow them at High Lawn Farm or go to their website, highlawnfarm.com. Plus, you can follow us at Cutting the Curd and myself at Kara Warren. And please listen, subscribe, Cutting the Curd, wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, don't forget to give us a five-star review. That counts and it helps us. So wherever you listen to your podcast, please give us a review. Thanks and eat more cheese. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.